The Overview is a production of Chaman V TV. Find out more about the show at chamanv.tv. What's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 58 of The Overview. I'm Chan Man V, and joining me today is Fishsticks, of course. What's up, Ben? I'm back again, back again. Back like again. Like tribes buddy, ZP. How you doing, man? That's right. Doing yeah. good, doing good. Yeah, back from uh, I'm thinking happy thoughts. Thinking happy thoughts. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm getting the, the sodium ready here because there's going to be there's a no, lot of Look, salt. there's no sodium. I swallowed oh. it all for the broadcast, and I'll probably die of high blood pressure but for now i am completely chill <laughs> so i got the h2o right here <laughs> h2o absolutely but uh we do have a mini announcement to kind of start off the show and i want to welcome zp as a permanent host you know of the overview so he's joining the team here so since the last couple of weeks you've already been on we might as well just bring you on for permanently you know that's kind of how i feel about it zp so welcome buddy don't don't forget you're here forever <laughs> you're here forever <laughs> You have to do the show, you know. Um, but no, but really. Not only is ZP a great host, but uh, yeah. Jason Kaplan also uh, has gotten himself into a bit more busy work, where yes. he's literally traveling to different countries like every single weekend to to film this esports show. So that's why he's been absent on the show recently. And uh, yeah, ZP is uh, filling those filling those big big shoes. That's right. Exactly. It, it might I mean, be uh, one of the only Jason. people in the scene with bigger shoes than mine, actually. Well, if, well, you, uh, well, you know if you go by just pure body size, uh, J-Cap is definitely a tall fellow. Where God, There's a lot of true. tall people well, in the Overwatch casting community. Let's be real. The, the real reason why you know, uh, you know, ZP is coming in and, 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 fill, and replacing J- Jason is because Jason's going to be busy on the U.S. committee. You know, that's, that's really what it's, it's Oh, <laughs> entirely accurate. Very much true. <laughs> Oh, man. So if you guys are wondering what we're referring to, the World Cup committees and groups were announced about a couple hours ago. Uh, The committees, I think, have a lot of surprising results, uh, at least surprising in the esports community. Maybe not so much to the general Overwatch uh, community, given that they, they were probably the ones that provided the most votes. But why don't we start with that and take a look at the results that we have here. Uh, and let's just take a look at, I guess, the Blizzard page real quick first. Uh, and so if you go down, if you go to worldcup.playoverwatch.com, uh, you'll see that um, the committee for your particular nation will be shown here. Uh, so you won't see everybody, all the nations, but we'll show that in the Reddit thread in a second. But you can see that Stir, Kai Kai, and Jason Kaplan are the three committee members. Uh, and then you can see the group stages down here. So why don't we start with committee and uh, we can start with the U.S. one, then we'll talk about the other countries. So, uh, Ben, reactions to this? I did not vote for any of these people. <laughs> I was actually really, I was really surprised in these results. Um, however, after digesting them for the last hour or however long they've been out, it actually makes more and more sense the more I think about it. Uh, because you have to remember, it's not like just esports people voted on this. This was promoted yeah. to the entire Overwatch player base. So the fact that it's not exactly who me is, like someone on the inside of the esports side of things, uh, it, it's not who I would have expected. But 
it's likely because everyone voted on this. It wasn't just, you know, mm-hmm. the, the 1% of the player base that's that's really into esports. Uh, so we do have Stir, Kai Kai, and Jason Kaplan. Mm-hmm. Uh, my immediate reaction is I'm actually glad I didn't vote for Kai Kai, but I think that makes so much sense. I mean, this guy has been uh, a top player since the very earliest days of the beta. He's been super active in the scene. He's done coaching. He's been in Korea. He's done a little bit of everything. So Kai Kai makes a lot of sense. Jason... I love the guy, but he's been in he's Europe. Our bro. Like he's, he's been in Europe bro. for like five years. So that that one feels a little bit weird to me. Uh, and Stir, I love the guy too, but he's not like intimately connected to the the pro scene. So I'm glad Kaika's on there. I, I'm kind of a little iffy on the other picks. I'm not gonna lie. That that's 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 where my head's at. I'm sure ZP has a lot of lot of opinions. As by the way, ZP, you were you were one of the guys I voted for. Uh, well, so, well, we go way back I'm to the, you, have the, you have the tribes connection there, if nothing else. I would have been disappointed if not. So, I mean, on one hand, I can't be like fully open on it because I mean, I, I was one of the committee, so to come in here and be like, I think X, Y, and Z could it, like even if it comes from a place of honesty, and I'm not trying to be sour grapes, it could sound sour grapes. So, I, I will be a bit restrained in my analysis here, but I do think uh, I'd say the challenge that the USA committee is probably going to have here is that you have a lot of conflicting time zones that have to work together to make your decisions for the team, right? Where Kai Kai is in Korea, you have Jason Kaplan in Germany, mm-hmm. and then you have Stir, Stir who may or may not have wanted to win the nomination because he didn't campaign and told people on stream saying, guys, don't vote for me. So I guess my main concern with the USA committee and how it stands is, are all three people going to be able to get on the same page and go through things, maybe try out the people that need to be tried out and mm-hmm. make a good decision together? And all of it, just because the logistics are really rough to get everyone together when you have those level of time zone differences and perhaps just commitment differences and making that happen when you're balancing now the schedule of three people on very different schedules for the committee and then balancing that against the players who have to work around their own scrims and other obligations. Mm -hmm. I do think it's going to make the committee building process a little bit tough just because of the logistics that are going to be involved in this. Okay, so uh, let's get all that PC stuff out of the way. All right, all right. So, um, but in terms of Jason being voted in, and I mean, Jason's not going to argue with this. He's surprised too. He didn't campaign at all. So, how much of this comes along with his last name being Kaplan? <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. Ninety-eight uh, percent. I, I, I don't know. I don't Did know. I actually think it was Jeff. That's that's the question. How much of the population do you think actually thought that was Jeff? It could have been a factor I mean, <laughs> I, we, we don't know right okay so there's there's 30 million plus people who have this game probably like 5 million of them are Americans or at least a couple million the number of Americans that actually watch the esports scene it, it's probably like probably like 5% of the people that voted on this were okay, so uh, 5% of the people that voted on this were actually like knowledgeable about the esports scene so yeah, I, I, I think it's a right large. Now, I think it's a much larger percentage than we all think. I, yeah, really. I, yeah, I actually do because I mean, as as popular as Jason is, and you know, obviously being one of the ESL casters, and he's he's casted some of the bigger events that we've had. You know, the general community still probably don't know who he is. So him beating the likes of like even Monty, you know, and, and guys that are very very well known too, is uh, pretty surprising. <laughs> With Stir, I can understand just because he's 
you know, he's a popular streamer, popular content maker, and the logic at least is there for that. Uh, and then Kai Kai, you know, I, I guess I can understand that too. And, you know, again, like I voted twice, so I had three votes. So, I, you know, I'll just say that one of these people are on my list, at least one of my three votes. <laughs> I won't say who exactly, but one of them at least is on there. So um, I, it comes down to, is Kai Kai just going to pick the team? Like, what do you guys think? <laughs> is that how is it going to work? You know, my gut uh, feeling is that they're they're gonna interface with flame and zp and like i think this is gonna be not just these three people i think they're gonna mm-hmm. talk to a wide group of people uh maybe kai kai will call the shots i know he's a pretty dominant personality so i wouldn't be too surprised by that yeah but ultimately while i don't love all three picks i do think that they're gonna make the right choices they're gonna talk to the right people i think it's kai kai's team because well, you talk about the things we mentioned earlier on is that Jason is relatively busy nowadays where he's constantly traveling for the show he's doing and all the rest, plus the time zone difference. Stir, I'm not sure how active he's going to be in the committee. I mean, it depends. I mean, Stir could take the ball and run with it. He could. He I, could I, I don't really know how yeah. to predict Stir there. But I can predict is that Kai Kai will be a very forceful personality in choosing players, and he'll have people that he wants on over others. So I would expect that... In general, I think Kai Kai will get most of what he wants for the committee. That That's just yeah. my guess, knowing the personalities involved and the time constraints on everyone and everything else. I can see Stir like, not necessarily wanting, <laughs> wanting to be voted into the committee, but once he's in the committee, I can see him actually you know, taking it seriously and, and trying to put input. But it's hard to imagine Kai Kai not, not being very, very <laughs> forceful with his, his choices and... Um, I'd be yeah, I'd be surprised otherwise. I think in the end we'll get a good team. I don't think there's any question that we're, we're the U.S. isn't going to have some you know solid team. It's just it's interesting. Um, but why don't we look at some of the other committees that too that were nominated? And I'll have to go to the Reddit thread here since it was listed here in a comment. Uh, so there's a ton of countries, obviously. So any of the any of these stick out to you? So uh, the most obvious one, because it has by far the most potential for popcorn, is the Sweden committee, where you have two members okay. of Misfits, when Misfits has been on record for, uh, to Vik of saying that they want a full Misfits team. In theory, they have the votes to stack the team, but that just leaves IDDQD as the third wheel. It, depending on how Blizzard decides to arbitrate the Sweden committee, oh, wow. IDDQD could literally be sitting there doing nothing. He will be off on an island by himself where he won't be able to give input onto the team. He won't be able to select members because he's one vote and Sweden could just be full misfits. Now, I don't obviously it'll depend entirely on how Blizzard decides to arbitrate that, but it is somewhat of a tough situation for IDDQD where he's been voted in, but I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do much. I mean, is there really any arbitration that needs to be there? there there's three people. It's two to one, right? I mean, it's... Well, no, I mean, there's other ways you can handle it, right? Where if you have the idea where one committee member is being marginalized, they can't do anything, maybe you go for the compromise approach and you say that each committee member gets to put in two players. And then IDDQD in theory can put on (laughs) Chips and Coco from Envy if you wanted to do that, uh, which of course are two players he's a really big fan of. So there are other options other than letting Tavik and Zebo Mm -hmm. basically two to one and put the entire Misfits team, including themselves, on the team. How it turns out, I mean, it'll be interesting because IDDQD is a very forceful personality. If he feels marginalized in some way, he's going to go public with everything. So, I don't know. Like I said, I, Sweden know, is popcorn right now. 
I mean, some of those things that you're talking about, I feel like should have been established beforehand. Uh, I don't think any of those things were discussed, right? All that's been stipulated is that the committees pick the team, and that's it, right? So um, I agree that there's going to be a lot of popcorn with that one. But I don't think they're going to choose Misfits. I, I think in the end, we'll get a Sweden, Sweden team that includes most likely IDDQD <laughs> uh, um, alongside just I don't know. a lot of I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, really? I, you actually you think it's just going to be straight Misfits? I no. think... I think it might be. I, we'll wow. see. Okay. Well, two of the two of the three committee members are on Misfits, so uh, obviously you can make an argument that that is the best Swedish rosters because they have all this experience together, they strat together, they are a pro team. Uh, but you know, my I know you guys talked about this last week, so won't dive in it dive into it too much. But personally, I would argue for Chips and Coco on that team, hundred yes. yeah. percent. I mean. Absolutely. I mean, currently, like, Chips yep. is one of the best Anas in the game, straight up, period, no questions asked. Coco continues to blow my mind with the Earth Shatters. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would certainly argue for that. And it, it's funny because you mentioned IDDQD might make it on the team. Well, you could even you could even argue for other Swedish players yep. in the DPS role uh, fitting in there. So, yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen there. It's definitely... I think you're right, ZP. This is the one to watch for, for the potential of drama, the potential of uh, surprises, for sure. So, of course, we do have other teams here. I mean, there's a lot of teams that have interesting stories. The other one that, of course, is very likely going to be one of the front runners <laughs> in many people's minds is what's going on with France, where AlphaCast, Troma, and D-Gun <laughs> have already said publicly that they want to put the entire Rogue team on. Apparently, they were streaming earlier today and said, yeah, we're putting all of Rogue on for Easy peasy. Yeah. Done deal. Yeah. <laughs> so they have perhaps the quickest committee process. with yeah, That one's obvious drama. as hell. Yeah. yeah. So, you, can't, you can't argue against that one. <laughs> So congratulations, Rogue, for being the French World Cup 2017 team, because that is apparently going to happen. Mission no accomplished when putting together Rogue, right? All French. We knew this World Cup was coming, and they ended up taking all the spots. But they deserve it. So I, I think that we talked about last week. It, it, it would be very surprising if they decided to break that up, given that Rogue is one of the best teams right now. Um, how about Canada, guys? <laughs> what do you guys think about Mangachu, Huck, and Poke? I feel bad for Chance. Chance is by far the most qualified of the candidates that Canada had. He's done an incredible mm, job coaching Immortals. Like seriously, Chance's job coaching Immortals, it's one of the top coaching jobs in the scene. We've seen Immortals yep. bring themselves back from bad situations and metas where they're not able to play what they want to play. And Chance has found a way to make the competitive. Does Immortals win every tournament? No. Do they have disappointments? Yes. Do they bounce back in a way that few teams do after having disappointments? Absolutely. So Chance not getting voted in by Canada is really disappointing because I think that that would have been an enormous opportunity for Chance to really show like not only his team building abilities, but he would have been a great influence on the team. And it's just a little bit sad for me that he wasn't put in. Obviously, the way of selecting teams is different this year. The community votes on the committee members, not the actual members themselves. But I'm noticing a very similar trend that the popular streamers are getting voted in. Uh, above guys like Chance, and, and it makes sense. Like you can't expect the entire community to know who Chance is. Like, he hasn't even been uh, playing on any of these top teams uh, for a number of months. Uh, so you got Megachu, Hot Kapokalals. I'm pretty interested to see who they pick. Uh, I actually mm -hmm. think Canada might be one of the sleeper picks for getting into the top five, even top three territory. Uh, you know, you've got you've got guys like uh, Surefor 
Rolf, who are playing for Cloud9 right now. You guys got got guys like Agilities, Train, who can play Diva, and then XQC for the dive comps. Like, I think this Canadian team is actually really strong. I'm interested interested well, to see who they pick. Canada is a team that has enormous potential, but also a, a many, many ways that it gets mm-hmm. messed up on the committee if people don't make the right votes. Like, mm-hmm. I would say the one player that absolutely should be on the team, no matter what, especially with his recent performance with Immortals, is Agilities. Agilities. No, yeah, sure, agilities no yes. Yeah. If Agilities is not on Canada, there is a miscarriage of justice that is going on there, where really Agreed. I think the committee would absolutely again? have to give a strong explanation as to why not, because Agilities has mm. just been one of the most breakout players in the North American scene. So Agilities yeah. needs to be on that team, full stop. Agreed. I think you could say Surefire as well. Yes. Well, well Surefire isn't given. I can't Like, that's a yeah. freaky good DPS duo for, like, can rival any other team. But you've just, in, created, thing. You've just created a conundrum here where if it's a DPS duo, I agree. You want Surefire and Agilities as the DPS duo. But right. Mangachu is on the committee. And if Mangachu is more politically connected with Huck or Poke, what if he goes to them and goes, I want to play? Because presumably Mangachu is going to want to play, right? You could see Mangachu getting in over Agilities. And based on what we've seen from these players objectively, that's kind of rough for Agilities if he doesn't get in as a result. Now, there are formats where Agilities doesn't always go on projectile DPS. He does play a lot of flex. So you could put him in as that. There's scenarios where you have Mangachu, Agilities, and Surefour all on the team. But I do think there is a reasonable scenario where Jolies doesn't get on the team, and it's not going to be right if that happens. Yeah. I mean, I know every situation is going to be a lot different, but let's talk about the situations where there are just bucketing them streamers slash content makers on, on the committee. Um, you know, before, I think when, when we, you know, last season, when we had them actually on the team, there were, you know, there was a, a benefit for having them on the team, right? Just because they would just bring their following. They would actually watch the matches and, and uh, having them actually on screen playing, you know, it has that kind of engagement with their following. Now, having them on the committee, is it, does, does that have any influence on, I mean, does it have any of effect like it did last year? Or does having them on the like, committee really not matter at all? Like just the, you know, esports centric picks are going to be the ones that end up making decisions anyways. Mm, hard. I, I mean, at least having big influencers as part of these committees mm-hmm. and like helping coach the team and all that, at least they're going to be really incentivized to promote the heck out of this. So I think mm-hmm. that's definitely a silver lining here um, in terms of how much influence it's just going to depend. Yeah. Nice. Nice EP. <laughs> oh, you, you've noticed the shed. Well, really, I'm just going through a whole bunch of different backgrounds right now. Of course, a shed a homage to Sideshow, where we all were sheds on the weekend, at least until my lungs failed me because the house right now has some yeah. issues yeah. in certain rooms. But either way, uh, it is interesting seeing the trends for the teams. Of course, I think it would be remiss if we didn't mention the United Kingdom situation, where I do think that it's a little bit tough because, again, you you have a situation where really good analysts in the scene, and this is probably a good segue because I just put up the Shed background, is that mm-hmm. Sideshow didn't get in for the UK, nor did One Against Many. These are people who have been analysts, good analysts, and casters for the scene yeah. going back to the beginning, and they weren't voted in for the UK. Uh, and it's a bit of a shame because, I mean, Sideshow in particular, I think, would have been a very good pick for UK, and it's not going to happen in this case. Yeah, and look, 
there's a lot of teams that we still have to go through for for the committee members. We could talk about each individually. I think it, I mean, you got to get to ask though, like how else could Blizzard have done this in a fair way? Would you ZP? Would you rather that they had just manually hand selected who they thought would be best? Like because if it was me or you, like saying who should be like the committee members for each team. Yeah, I would say guys like Sideshow would, would be there in there 100%, uh, mm-hmm. but he's not like that big of a personality yet. He's starting to get his name out there with more casts. But if how else could they have done this? I mean, you do want to have some sort of community involvement, right? So I, I'm not sure there's like actually a good way to do this. Ben, I'm doing the American thing right now of complaining about how uh, complaining about the results of things without offering a better solution. Uh, th- <laughs> that's uh, th- that's okay, basically so- the stance for Amen right now. Where you're, I mean, you're right. Is that you have to have a vote, right? You need to have some form of community interaction. It's very good to do so. The problem is, is that the scene overall is still a bit immature. So people who should have a really strong reputation in some of these countries where the USA was lucky relative to a lot of other countries and the idea that we do have a lot of people that are analysts and everything else in the scene where most of the other countries did have to put players on the committee in addition to whatever analysts they could find, which in some cases weren't all that many. So it is sort of the hand that was dealt here. It would have been yeah. nice, I think, for some of these countries were to see perhaps someone like Sideshow get in on the United Kingdom, but... Perhaps okay, next well, year is. All right, well, so let's throw out the option of should we have five people on the committee next time around? You know, because then we would I, have more chances of those people getting in. I'm not opposed yeah. to five people on the committee. Mm-hmm. Just bear in mind that there is a financial cost that is involved with that because the committee members are supposed to be involved with this. Where, And I don't know how this particular process is going to go, but I assume that every country will have three committee members no matter what. So let's say that Tavik and Zebosai both play for Sweden, right? I would think that they would be the next two next voted in Sweden would be thrown up and they would travel with the team because the idea is that the committee is also part coaching, part advice, part everything else that goes with that. So if you add five people, suddenly you have now increased the expense where every committee or every country now needs two more plane tickets, two more people have to get paid, so on and so forth. So that's not a non-insignificant financial cost if you increase it to five. Yeah, I mean, logistically, sure. But I'm thinking more so from the standpoint of getting the committee in a state that we think would be you know, good. It's a combination of all of these things that we're talking about, where three, from what I see right here, isn't quite right. I mean, we don't quite have enough of a mix of all the different variables that can play into a committee. Uh, so Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm just looking through some more of the player, or sorry, the committee members uh, Mm -hmm. for some other teams here. I'm going to go out on a limb. I think it would be probably better if they made it so players, if you're eligible to be a player and you want to be put, you want your name in the player pool, I don't think you should be on the committee. I think... I don't really well, see. That's what I said last that week. <laughs> I said, yeah. but, the same but thing. that was the, that was the intent to begin yeah. with. That's why you didn't have someone like Seagull on the USA committee because the idea is that Seagull has a good chance of getting selected as a player. The problem is, is that for countries other than the USA, you simply did not have ten yeah. coach slash analysts to go out find and put on the committee. So putting on players was the only option that gotcha, you had yeah. in that yeah. case. I mean, I'm just be looking at Spain right now. Winghaven, Harry Hook, Bromas. <laughs> what chance like all three of those players are gonna be on the team period like i i don't i don't see any chance like so i don't know it just feels a little weird well, it, it could be it's one of these things too where like like zp was alluding to it's still pretty early on you know like we, 
there's just a, an issue with just volume of people in 32 countries. I mean, we had how many countries listed there? I mean, it could have been 100 countries, right? We have to have enough people to even put on the list for 100 countries. So I think in the future, when you know more people get into you know, doing analyst work and and just making a name for themselves in the scene, then we'll have more choices. But right now, you know, I think this is what we have, you know, and eliminating players would make it very, very tough for a lot of these countries to even have nominations. Like, does Blizzard actually know every, like, every little bit of every single country's scene right now? Well, there's no way, as far as that goes. I mean, that would be impressive. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think so, guys. So, um, yeah, I think that's why it had to happen this time around. Um, Okay, well, why why don't we take a look at the groups since we've been talking about the committees and uh, the groups, there's eight groups, yeah, groups of four. Uh, and then there, there's a city next to uh, two of them at a time. So Shanghai is one of the sites. Uh, Sydney is one of the sites. And Katowice, as well as Burbank, <laughs> of course, is the yeah, U.S. We, site. Burbank just is so the people least, know, uh, we had, most exciting one for we us. We had a discussion least. before going on. We're just like, all right, you know, Katowice, Shanghai, Sydney. Yes. Burbank. <laughs> <laughs> so it does give you these one of these things is not like the other. Now, in yeah. fairness, the reason is that there are a lot of esports studios in Burbank. I can think of two yeah, of in course. particular where you have, of course, ESL studios out there. You have NGE studios and hell, it's Burbank. There's probably other things out there yeah, that we don't even out there too. No. Well, actually, I think about Burbank. Uh, I believe for Overwatch World Cup last time, the company that was doing it was also based in Burbank. So mm-hmm. there's three different production options in Burbank. Bur- Bur- Burbank, Burbank for this particular venue. So that's why it's going to be held in Burbank. There's just a lot of studio support there yeah. before people go, why not LA? And it's like, well, it's close enough to LA. Okay. And so how these groups are going to work are they're going to obviously play like a round robin and the top two from each group will then play within their site. So like, let's just say that group A and group B, right? Top two from group A and the top group two from group B end up playing this you know, best of four or just this bracket of four. And then the top two teams from that end up going to a, a BlizzCon, right? Uh, the top eight, I think overall go to BlizzCon. So two from each site end up going and playing in the end. So um, hey, what do you think of that format? It seems fine to me. Yeah, yeah. seems fine. Yeah, it seems fine yeah, for the most part, it's fair. So to give people a rundown, I don't know if mm-hmm. you can bring it up on the stream view, but let's take a look at uh, right the here? Shanghai group here. Oh, Shanghai group. Wait. Okay, sure. Yeah, let's bring that up. And just to explain how it goes, that if I'm understanding it properly, which is possible, I am not, but let's assume that I am. The way it works is that the teams within an individual group will ra- mm-hmm. play each other in a round robin. So France will play Denmark, Thailand, Argentina, yep. so on and so forth. Then what you'll have happen is that the one and two from each group in a site will play each other. So let's say that France goes undefeated and Denmark is second in that particular setup. And then China is undefeated and Hong Kong is second. You would have France versus Hong Kong and Denmark versus China. And the winners of those two matches would go on to BlizzCon in November. Right. I wonder if they should just do a group of them, the four teams there. Maybe that, I mean, I feel like that would be a little more fair but not maybe not as exciting just given that there's okay now this match guys it's like all on the line right here for four teams yeah i think this Mm -hmm. format makes sense because you're gonna it's basically a little mini tournament for each of these regions it's pretty cool how they're spreading this across the world Mm -hmm. um i'm actually i'm pretty interested by the fact that they basically have two uh two asian locations with australia Mm -hmm. and shanghai 
uh, which is pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, you're going to have groups, Australia's plenty of matches. Asian, plenty of... What are you talking about? Oh, Oceania. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's SEA, it's same, right, whatever. Right. <laughs> pretty similar. Uh, but that, yeah, I think it's, I think it makes sense. Uh, you're going to have plenty of matches. You're going to have plenty of hours of broadcasts, and then it's going to all end in a little mini bracket. So I think it's a good format. No, I'm a big fan of the format, mm-hmm. and I do think there will be matches that are particularly interesting for most of the groups, at least in the elimination stage, where, for example, you take a look at Group B. I think Denmark is the sleeper pick there, because if they put Defran and Saipan the team, suddenly <laughs> you have a top-tier DPS combo, which many of the teams of the tournament are not going to have. I would be a little bit afraid of a Denmark team that had both Defran and Saipan, where, I mean, let's face it, you take a look at Defran and his play with Selfless, Selfless went from a team that was Tier 3, at best, and you put Defran on the team, plus make a few other tweaks, and suddenly Selfless is very much competing for the very top of the North American scene. So I think any team with Defran on it, period, is scary, and that makes Denmark scary as far as groups A and B go. Yeah. Remember Thailand, though. Thailand was the sleeper yeah. pick last yep. World Cup. It's where we discovered, uh, of course, uh, fucking Nick. Mickey. I don't know why Mickey's name didn't come to my head. Yeah. Mickey, yes, that's where we discovered <laughs> Mickey. Uh, and that team played incredibly well. So this is a, a kind of interesting group. I, I think, ZP, you're totally right that, like, France, Denmark, Thailand actually might be my favorites. Didn't Actually, didn't Thailand beat China last time or something mm-hmm. like that? I, I don't remember. Uh, uh, Thailand I don't did very they'd... well. Uh, yeah. uh, no, I think they... I, I'm no, trying to remember because it got China. stuck into a three-way tiebreaker for the yeah. middle of it, and I was casting it, so mm. should remember the exact specifics. But it, either way, it was China that got in over them. I don't remember yeah. if China won the head-to-head with Thailand, but China did get over Thailand in that particular set up yeah but the the interesting thing with thailand is that for anyone who's seen them in person and you guys got a bit of this on the 2016 broadcast but they are incredibly fun to watch everyone backstage that wasn't on the cast was rooting for thailand extremely uh rampantly we really wanted thailand to win because of everyone there they were having the most fun by far i mean just imagine mickey times five or times yes times five plus him (laughs) so that's what you're gonna get there so if we get a similar group for Thailand where there's no guarantees we get the same team, but if we get a similar group of guys that have that optimistic attitude, yeah. they'll certainly be fan favorites again. Mm-hmm. And the thing, you know, what everybody was hearing about, like, at least behind the scenes was that Thailand was wrecking in practice, like beating everybody in practice. So I don't know if that ended up showing on stage or not. It did to some degree, you know, because we obviously saw some success there, but practice wise, they were, you know, definitely one of the top teams is what people were saying. Maybe it could be the same yeah. thing this season. So, yeah, I'm excited It'll to see what, what they put together. Groupies gotta, stacked, it's, it's fair to say. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be some other breakout ones, too. Maybe they don't get through the group stages, but um, I could see some other countries making a name for themselves, too. You know, Just kind of like what Thailand did last season. Well, well, let's go to the land down under. And by the way, shout-outs yeah. to Australia for getting their first really major... Uh, Overwatch event. There have been other events that have gone on there in the Pacific region, but mm-hmm. nothing that's actually drawn this many different teams down there. So uh, it's going to be a good time in Sydney. But now take a look at the teams that are involved here. There's some potential for intrigue. In particular, you look at Group D, where you have both Finland and Spain. Spain surprised people with a better than expected output yeah. in the 2016 World Cup. I don't think there's any reason to think that Spain wouldn't be a decent force going into 2017. But that means that you now at least have three powerhouse teams, in a sense, between Sweden, Finland, and Spain. Only two of them are going to make it out of this Group C, D combination. Yeah. Yeah, This is almost, in a way, 
I would I would I would say that this could be like the most stacked right now. Uh, I mean, Group E and well, F are also pretty stacked, but obviously Finland and Sweden are two of the best teams. They made it very far in the last World Cup. I'm, I'm expecting Sweden to be much stronger this time around. But Spain, Spain is one that turned a lot of heads last year. Uh, but the players, part of Team Spain, have only done better and better this year. Yeah. You've got guys like Neptuno who had barely even been playing the game by the time the World Cup came around last year. People are like, oh, it's this this old CS CS legend, this 1.6 CS player like is playing Overwatch now. He's really, really good. Now he actually has even more experience under his belt. So I think Spain is actually able to give both Finland and Sweden a run for their money here. I do still see the two Nordic teams coming out on top. Uh, but Australia is another region where I wish I could say I knew more about their current status. Uh, but just given, you know, they actually have a number of pro teams out there. So I think Australia is going to be strong. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I think C and D, it's going to be a really fun group to watch. It'll be a fun group to watch, although I do think that unless Australia really comes out and surprises us, they will probably be sacrificed to either Finland or Spain. Because remember the format here where one plays two in both setups here. Whoever is yeah. number one is in the better of the two teams between Finland and Spain is going to get to go against Australia in all likelihood, unless Italy or Portugal yeah. come out of nowhere and surprise us, which could happen, but it's hard to say. It doesn't seem likely based on the information that we have right now. So fin it's going to be difficult for Australia, to say the least. I think what's going to be interesting, though, is that Sweden is a team that has a lot of expectations on it, and who knows how the committee situation will pan out and all the rest, but I do think there's a possibility that either Finland or Spain could take out Sweden in the group stages. And for Sweden not to make it to BlizzCon, that would be a huge, huge deal. So I do think there's a lot of intrigue here in the Sydney regional as, as it happens where uh, well, it's weird to call it the Sydney regional when you have Sweden flying down, but the Sydney <laughs> group qualifier, whatever the official name is, that makes more sense. Well, last year, you know, Sweden was one of the favorites last year and I think they yeah. ended up underperforming. And I mean, the Finland Sweden match, I think the third place match last year was in my opinion, probably the best match of the entire World Cup. Uh, it was super exciting and crazy, crazy stars making awesome plays. I'm excited to see the possible matchup there, too. I wouldn't be surprised if Spain ends up taking Group D. I I don't know. I Finland's uh, just that yeah. favorite, but I, mean, I, I think Spain I has see. a very legitimate chance of taking that group. So if you um, look at the stock of NIP, it's it's definitely on the downturn lately, and, mm -hmm. and Lynx are used to be known as like one of the top talent dps uh in the scene but he hasn't really been showing up or he, he and his team haven't been showing up as much recently either so it, it almost feels like spain has the edge and can you, you can it. you imagine if finland and sweden have to play for a spot that would be crazy if that ended up happening an actual you know like elimination game right that would be nuts the italian team too i think the italian team is is a little could be a sleeper there too it might might surprise people but we'll, we'll take a look i mean i mean i don't know between Australia and Italy and Portugal, I don't know much about Portugal for sure, but I think between Australia and Italy, there could be some, uh, you know, some close matches there. So one thing I'm actually a little bit surprised on as we move on to the next uh, event, which is going to be in Poland, is mm -hmm. why? It, it, I guess I I totally know why. Like Shanghai is uh, losing my train of thought. Shanghai is completely a good venue for esports, but with all that we've had in Korean esports recently, I'm a little bit surprised that one of the venues wasn't in Korea. 
yep. where South Korea now, uh, that team is going to have to go all the way deep into <laughs> Europe for this particular group setup, which actually has some impact on Apex, where apparently the Apex finals are getting delayed a month and all that's going on there. But South Korea not going to be hosting one of the regional events, instead flying out. But I got to think South Korea's group right here. This looks like one of the easier groups in the entire tournament. There are some good players in the Netherlands, but it's difficult to see South Korea not taking number one in their group here. It's hard to see South Korea not taking number one in any group. So <laughs> that's not really saying, but this particular one, sure. I mean, I think this one isn't um, as difficult as some of the others we've seen. So I, I was just saying C and D might be the two most stacked groups. I take it back. I lied. <laughs> this no. one, this one is going to be the one to watch in Katowice, Poland, uh, because I think Canada is underrated. The, if you look, if you look at the last World Cup, what was the Grand Finals? It was Russia versus South Korea. Yeah, they're gonna have to, there's going to be a rematch there. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll see how Russia does this time around. Uh, I think the Dutch team in the Netherlands is probably also underrated and not not on people's radar as high as it should be. Uh, you've definitely got a lot of talent out there. You've got guys like Morte, uh, mm-hmm. Too Easy, uh, yeah, the, the, a, a Detonian is is going to be on that team. So. Uh, I think this is probably an underrated team as well, but particularly Russia, South Korea, and Canada. I could see each of like if you just put them in a power ranking, I would put all of those teams in my like top six. Like, easily. well, let's be clear about one dynamic that's going in here. Canada is really going to want to beat Russia and vice versa because again, when you look at the format of the tournament, <laughs> yeah. whoever doesn't Jeez. get first in Group F is going to have to play against South Korea to get to BlizzCon. That is the toughest road that I think any team will possibly have to getting into the main tournament. So Canada-Russia, probably the single most impactful group matchup because in many ways, it is probably going to be an elimination match. Now, I'm not saying that one of these teams couldn't upset South Korea. You never know any given day. And who knows how strong these teams will be when it is all said and done. But... If you look at all the objective evidence, it does feel like that Canada really needs to be game planning for Russia right now and vice versa. Yeah, and, and that's going to be interesting to see the Russian team. I mean, they, they were definitely the breakout team last year. And I mean, Shadowburn, arguably MVP of the tournament. Um, and if, if you were to measure up all the top players from, from World Cup 2016. But yeah, this year, I don't know. I mean, I think if people are game planning around, you know, just say Shadowburn, they're not nearly as good when that happens. So, um, would Singapore or Turkey beat them? I doubt it, but I would, I'd be surprised if they beat Canada. Okay. It'll be so, interesting to see how it, yeah. How about, uh, group G and group H here? Easiest well, group ever. <laughs> I know. <sighs> U S got lucky here. Brazil's pretty good. Brazil's pretty good. And uh, I, don't, I think you might be is. underrating Brazil ever yeah. so slightly in this case. The problem is that I'd actually say of the two groups, Group G is, has the potential to be a lot more stacked than Group H does right now, where I feel like... It, it's hard to say. I mean, there are really? plenty of oh, good German okay. players, but I, for whatever reason, the mix of German players really did underperform in 2016. So the German committee is really going to have to pull out something special for this particular setup to make a strong German team. Because right now, I don't look at Germany and go they're going to be incredibly strong. It doesn't feel like that way to come out with here. And I mean, same goes for the UK. I think the UK is going to have to navigate a few minefields to put together a really good team here, which means that you look at group G. I do think there are plenty of good teams in the group G side where 
I think you look at the available talent, the USA is the front runner in this group, but Brazil has been on the rise. You take a look at teams like Brazil Gaming House, where, yeah, they've been competing in some NA tournaments and mixed results, but they do it on very awful ping. They're not doing it with the best conditions. I think that Brazil could come out with a well-selected team and actually surprise quite a few people. And then Chinese Taipei, yes, they weren't the strongest team in 2016, but in general, it's a very strong region as far as where they could grab talent from. They might be able to put together a much better team this time around. So I would say for the USA is that even if they should have a bit of an edge, I don't think you can take for granted that you're going to have easy victories either over either Chinese Taipei or Brazil. I think that you are going to have to put together a pretty good team to make that more of a slam dunk. And they're still going to have to play either Germany or UK for a spot, you know, in, in BlizzCon. So it, not the complete easiest road. No, yeah, but I, I mean, it's also, it's also important to mention when, when you're talking about Chinese t- Taipei mm-hmm. that there is actually a league going on right now for that community with uh, over $200,000 prize pool and an esports stadium built in Taipei, I believe. So, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're going to be on the upswing, absolutely, because of that infrastructure built around them. Um, and I hope we see more out of Germany. It's weird. I mean, I've been a FPS fan for so long, and Germans have always been very, very talented. Uh, and uh, and uh, you know, in the past, if you look at Quake, if you look at CS, there have been so many top German players. But it just we haven't seen the same level of uh, of success out of German players in Overwatch thus far. I mean, there's yeah. only really a handful that have been what I would consider successful internet Hulk being the most notable by far. Well, even going back to 2016 though, I think you could easily make the argument that the team there vastly underperformed they to what they did. should have been capable of. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that probably is tilting my expectations of the German team for 2017. I hope they prove me wrong. I hope that they turn out to be a pretty strong team. So as they're not up against the USA and the, a single limb stage, which would be terrible. I mean, in that case, Germany, I want you to lose. I still have <laughs> some degree of patriotism. So, <laughs> just a little bit, Jerry. Right. Just a little. Okay, just a little. It's that's good to good to hear. Uh, who's on the committee? Let me see. Who's on the committee for the Germans? Like his internet hook skip. Okay, yeah, skip he's Jack on there. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they can put something good together. Um, but yeah, so that's going to be all the groups, guys. I think uh, it's great to you know finally move on to the. I guess the next phase of uh, World Cup, and how much time do they have before they can um, to pick the teams? Is it like two or three weeks or something like that? Not actually sure. I don't see. think this is. I don't think this has been uh, published yet. I so. I feel like the group stages start. I mean, they start in the summer, and we're already you know in May. So well, maybe they have like a month. A month's a pretty good amount of time to pick one, but. Good steal. You know, I'm still excited. I'm, you know, it's it's going to be a big event, and uh, I can't wait to see how it plays out. Uh, but okay, we'll spend a lot of time on World Cup. Why don't we? Uh, yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, why don't we talk about PTR a bit? Uh, there's a, there was a PTR update uh, shortly after the show, or maybe a day after the show last time around, and lots of changes were uh, added. Obviously, these aren't in stone or anything like that since it's you know on the ptr uh, server but a lot of times they, I was they do say, go they, out history, of, would exactly. indicate the, <laughs> history very much indicates the opposite once it goes on ptr <laughs> it almost always goes live yeah yeah okay so let's let's talk about each of them uh, or semi-briefly uh, so genji and hanzo they both have the ability to remove attack cooldown as they're climbing 
So uh, what do you guys think of that? I haven't tried it yet on PTR, uh, but obviously I think most people have seen the videos circulating of Genji uh, sort of using this for to make uh, make the sword really, really powerful because you can basically animation cancel your sword slashes to get additional slashes out, uh, which is really cool to look at. Like, the, the videos of this <laughs> it make is. it look really sexy. Um, will it stay in the game? I am very, very unsure. Uh, if... I wouldn't be surprised if Blizzard doesn't really want to see this uh, stay in the game. But you know me, Chris. I've said this a jillion times on the show. Anything that raises the skill cap and allows for really flashy, cool plays, I'm generally going to be in favor of. So I, I hope this stays in if it's not like too crazy OP, which I don't think it will be. Uh, because the videos everyone has seen has been somebody with 700 P- HP in training mode against McCree right. bots, all squishy 200 HP targets, which is definitely not going to be the case on, uh, in, in a live setting. Uh, so we'll see if that uh, the sword shenanigans uh, uh, sticks. Uh, but generally, I think it's cool. I play a lot of Genji. Uh, I'm excited to try this if it goes into the live version, not just because of sword, but because of how it affects throwing shuriken and, and all that. Well, one thing I'd say here is that in terms of design philosophy, if there is one consistent thing that we've seen over time, it's that animation cancels are not really seen with a whole lot of praise from the dev team when they have arisen in other cases or sort of tech that's not intuitive. Like an animation cancel for most things is not necessarily intuitive unless you are getting really gamey on things. So my guess is that the animation cancel part for Genji Sword probably is not going to last that would be and, my gut uh, time rabbit in in chat says it's already patched out in all caps it's oh gone. is it okay it's gone so, all right, it's okay i'm out of the that. loop my that bad. makes sense that makes sense i'm sad i'm sad <laughs> i wanted well, there you go i wanted to see uh i wanted to see Shadowburn go for 6k <laughs> Balancing and, like, on i wanted to hear zp fucking lose his <laughs> goddamn mind as that happened but oh well well, you see, the key to slashing rapidly is just hugging your nearest wall. Is that when Genji <laughs> forms a bond of love with the scaffolding okay. to his left, he's able to swing the sword twice as often. But <laughs> when no, that, Genji that is... jumps, like decides to jump into a small room because he can just slash nonstop over and over and over again, that's when it starts getting ridiculous. Uh, so, it, it, okay, go ahead, ZP. No, I was going to say that was only one change. Another mm-hmm. change, of course, is that. Hanzo is getting buffed, which I always have some degree of trepidation over Hanzo getting buffed just because it is a hero that does a lot with one shots. Generally speaking, the especially from the professional community, the heroes that are really heavy on one shotting that aren't Widowmaker because people see Widowmaker as Morphir, although they did get rather tilted there when she was way better. The problem with one shots is that it gives players a lot more frustration than other mechanics. It's why you get so much salt directed towards Roadhog with how his hook has worked over time. Mm-hmm. If let, Let's forget about the direct changes right now and just say, in theory, that Hanzo is suddenly viable. Is it a good thing for the game to have a viable Hanzo? I feel like there's a bit of a debate to be had there just with how that hero works, where mm-hmm. I do think... I don't know. I mean, this might be my anti-Hanzo bias showing to some extent, but I don't know. I'm very torn on the idea of Hanzo being viable. I would say it's good to have Hanzo viable on some maps. So it's just bad to have Hanzo viable on every single map. Yeah, and then the next question after that, the Mm follow-up is, is this 10% charge speed buff 
enough to make him viable. Uh, I mean, I, in a way, he's like already on the edge. Uh, you, yeah. you can see it. He's been yeah. used to some effect, especially on maps like King's Row. Is this enough to push him over the edge? It very well could be. I mean, there's a proud tradition gaming too, where even if you buff a, something only by a little bit, you still have the case where gamers will go, wait, it's now the best thing ever, and they'll make it meta, even if effectively not much has changed. So overall, I do think you'll see Hanzo get put more through his paces than he has been in the past, whether that makes matches more variable or it causes more salt or whatever it may be, we'll have to see. But I, the general theme of the changes is to make him easier to use and make him more of a threat from wall climbing, where now there's more of an idea where you can use the wall almost for cover, have the charge up, and then immediately throw the arrow as soon as you get over the wall to be more of mm -hmm. a threat. And you can't just sit there and go, oh, Hanzo's climbing the wall. I guess I'll right. just kill him when he gets on the top. Mm, okay, that's true. Uh, okay, let's talk about Orisa. So two changes to Orisa and uh, pretty big ones. So the fusion driver, so her damage is reduced by 15%. Uh, and then her protective barriers cooldown has gone down by 33% which essentially makes it like just up. The, uh, it, you can just keep just recycling it over and over again. It's like really, really hard to kill it in eight, eight seconds or less than eight seconds. So let's start with the driver. What do you guys think about reducing the damage from the gun? I am not a fan of these changes. I, I, don't, mm -hmm. I actually don't like either of these Orisa changes. I think what the Blizzard Balance team is trying to do here is they're trying to actually like even make her closer to Reinhardt than she was before in terms of functionality. I mean, they said it publicly many times. We want another anchor tank that allows, that can protect the team, that can help you slow push uh, and make for the style of, uh, of gameplay where a lot of people are like going behind the shield and you're progressively pushing forward. Uh, but I don't personally like these changes for a couple reasons. First of all, eight second cooldown on that. You're going to have that thing up all the time. It, it's, I don't know if that, is going to be a fun thing to deal with. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to make the gameplay more exciting and, and dynamic and 15% less damage. Uh, I have actually played a decent amount of Orisa on ranked. Uh, my win rate's like, it was like 60, 68%, but anyway, it's like 55 now. It's not bad. Um, I actually liked the fact that Orisa could get in the face of like a Roadhog. And if you have your shift up, you can actually deal enough damage to take down other tanks. And even sometimes like there are McCree's facing off. And if, if you predict their movement right, you can actually end up maybe getting a kill. So I think 15% damage nerf is probably too much. And she's already like pretty, she's already pretty uh, flimsy. Like she can get killed mm -hmm. so dang fast uh, that in 1v1 situations, I feel like she's going to be worse uh, as a team character, she might be slightly better, but I don't know. I, I don't really like these changes a lot. I mean, the interesting thing for me is that I would say I'm mixed on how I feel about this. I mean, I will say that playing against Arissa is going to be a lot more frustrating now because there's basically no point in trying to crack her barrier. Yeah, yeah exactly. You just avoid it. Yeah. Eight second cooldown, mm -hmm. you will spend at least five of those seconds, even with a really big barrier killing hero, to get the barrier down and then right. it goes right back up. So effectively it's made the protective barrier in many ways unkillable, which is probably not a good thing. I mean, it's hard. we'll have to see it play out. <laughs> the second thing is that I don't really like the fusion driver in its current form where I was saying a little bit before the show, but 
it's a very slow projectile relative to what would feel good, where mm -hmm. it feels more like you're using it for spam and area denial than a weapon you're interacting with that feels really aim-based. Where I, I remember in the beginning trying it out, I felt like, oh, this could be really cool because you're it's more of an aim-based thing and I guess a little bit it is, but I always felt like for the fusion driver, if the speed of the projectiles were quicker, it would make Orisa a much more fun and engaging hero to play with because suddenly you have more of a threat to pin people down and all the rest, even if it meant reduced damage, but if she had quicker speed, so you just could skillfully interact with the weapon a little bit better, that would feel better than how she feels right now. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess this could make Orisa viable. I just don't know if it makes her fun is sort of, I don't of even know if it I makes it her viable. I mean, again, unless it goes back towards a, a triple tank type of meta, Arissa's still inferior to a lot of the tanks that we're seeing. We saw Arissa, I think, in, in one of the OGN matches, um, just on, uh, I think it was Ilios? I mean, oh, Nepal. Nepal. I'll it's contest Nepal. that a yeah. little bit. I will say yeah. that on Control, I think she's going to get heavy yeah. use on Control at these changes, where, no, yeah, I you see. can have an argument mm -hmm. for payload, but on Control, there's big value in having a permanent barrier up, and certainly mm -hmm. a lot of the Control okay. maps have environmental hazards that you can throw people into. It's you're making a very strong case to run Arissa on Sanctum, if nothing else. If it, you weren't there already, now you have effectively a permanent barrier and the ability to environmentally kill people. Uh, I feel like it makes her good on that in general. I just don't know, again, if it makes for the absolute most fun gameplay where you have a case where, oh, Arissa's sitting here in a corner. You have to take a really bad flank to get in on her. Her barrier is up all the time. And also, you can't go to part of the map because you're going to get environmental killed. <laughs> right. I, I just don't know if that's the absolute most fun combination of mechanics for some of the maps. And <laughs> you're still going to be able to just dive her, right? You're going to be able to get behind yeah. that shield. Unless I think you have, it just does nothing against dive Unless dogs. you have walls behind you like we saw on uh, Hollywood <laughs> where where they just set up a, a, a Torbjorn turret and Teresa just sat there in the corner with the turret just shooting. So that that's going to be really annoying strategies like that, and I don't know, very frustrating to play against if you can't deal with it. Um, but all right, let's move on to Reaper. So Wraith form now the ammo is entirely re refilled when Wraith form is used. I actually like this. I, I was uh, wanting this to happen like a long time ago. So, what do you guys think? It's good. I think yeah. anything that you can do the buff Reaper right now is probably pretty good. I don't necessarily think it's enough. We have seen it's some just... teams still mess around with running Reaper, but it does feel like he needs something extra in terms of one idea, of course, that comes out with Wraith Form a lot, where I think even Sheriff was talking about the other day, letting him cancel Wraith Form. Now you're in a different ball game of, wait, now he's really scary up close because he has a cancel and he can go in. Yeah. It just cancels aren't super well liked by the dev team, it seems. I would CP anything to adjust Reaper up a little bit is good. I just don't think this is changing anything. Yeah, I mean, it's a quality it, of life thing. Like it's not one out of every ten wraith walks, it might like, uh, like be beneficial. I don't know. I, I don't see this as being big enough. And the other thing to mention is wraith walk was never like a underpowered ability. It's, it's pretty damn useful in a lot of situations. It's more the shadow step that's the really useless one. So I, I'd rather. I, I think that that should be the thing that they look at to try Just to increase the speed bit. or something like oh, that. Well, yeah. one, th Could be good. one thing that's probably worth noting here too, is that, and this is one of those changes where this is a bit under the hood, but if I had to guess, I would actually say that the ammo thing wasn't even made as much for the high end play, but they probably had data that showed that 
actually at low levels of play, you had a lot of players that would use most of their ammo, panic wraith form, and then die with no ammo when they got out of it. Yeah. I- I'm willing to bet anything that this change in particular, even though it seems more quality of life and not a huge deal for the pro scene, is probably going to have a pretty significant impact on Reaper's win rates at different tiers like silver, gold, yeah, and so forth. I can see that, that. That's my guess. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think that might be really what this change is targeted to. Yeah, totally see that. All right, Reinhardt, Earthshatter. So they're nerfing Earthshatter a little bit. Uh, effective height has been lowered from three meters to two meters. And then the height threshold of objects that Earthshatter kind of climb or, or go over has been lowered from three meters to two meters, making Earthshatter less likely to you know, just crawl over things. Um, Thank you, based Kaplan. I love this <laughs> change. I love this change so much. All right, so uh, how how high is three meters versus two meters? Is payload? Like, I mean, how, what? How big are all these well, things? Chris, I don't know. That's thirty three point three three three. I know exactly. Less. I know Let that, me... but like in relative to the game, like what does that mean? Well, it can be deceiving. We would have yeah. to actually look at a visual comparison because there's always. Mm-hmm. Um, it has something to do with uh, how radius is calculated and all the rest. But I remember in games like Heroes of the Storm, where you get a patch note of the AOE on this ability has been decreased by 20%. And you go, oh, it's only 20%. That's not that big of a deal. And then you actually see it in progress. So you go, wow, it's basically been cut in half. It, games do funny things with math in regards to the actual effect of some of these things. So we'll have to actually play with it to get a general idea. I will say that anything that nerfs Earthshatter, I'm a big fan of because the ultimate has been the destroyer of worlds going all the way back to the very beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. It's far too effective as a general rule. And it was very telling that the best counter to Earthshatter and still is, is another Reinhardt. So anything that gives you some form mm-hmm. of extra outplay potential, you can go, maybe I can get on a higher ground here and then i don't have to worry about getting earth shattered from this angle that's completely good in my book yeah yeah i i I love this change and this is even given the context that ryan is getting picked less and less recently in favor of dive comps uh even in that context like in no way do i think ryan is like crazy op or anything like that but to me this is primarily like quality of life um i play a lot of genji and a lot of pharah and it is such a bad feeling to be hovering well above like Reinhardt's head. You're like Farah, you're you're hovering, you feel like you're out of range, you even hear the earth shatter coming, you're trying to get out of the range, and you still get knocked on your ass. Uh, so as I think for all the Genjis and all the Pharahs in the world, this is a phenomenal change. Um, and and it, also the other edge case is like if you're standing up, um, let's say it's like Temple of Anubis or something, and you're standing up on one of the, the, boxes, the yeah, little the pillars, pillars yeah. or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you're probably not going to get knocked over by this anymore. And ultimately, this isn't like the biggest thing ever, but it was super frustrating to be at the apex of Genji's double jump, clearly over Reinhardt's head and still get knocked over. So I'm really excited for this one, actually. I mean, it's so the visually, it's a, and even just the the definition of verse shatter it's supposed to be anything that's on the ground right at all like but i think if it didn't have any height it would be pretty bad if you could just like literally yeah. just jump like right when he does it that'd be terrible um but cool yeah i'm a reinhardt man so it kind of sucks for me but <laughs> so, <laughs> i will note as we get to the final change do not be fooled and go oh it only decreased by one damage <laughs> on the 76 so many no times. this is a break point and given yeah. the fact that you're usually attacking targets getting healed when you're on 76 this is a really big break point this is the difference between mm-hmm. killing a target sometimes and as little as six seconds and now taking eight seconds to do so just because you don't 
burst people down quite as quickly. You give them more time to get healed. This is a relatively big nerf to 76 that shouldn't be overlooked. Yeah. And he's talking about heavy pulse rifles been decreased. The damage has decreased from 20 to 19. And Terusinia Soldier fires many, many times. So that one damage adds up after, over time, you know, with, with Soldier. And to your point, you know, it, it, it is just with Soldier, it, it's like a matter of hit points sometimes where you, you know, you can kill that Pharaoh or whatever. Uh, so this is, I don't know, what the fourth time they've changed this now, <laughs> like trying to figure out exactly uh, where, where to put it. And I guess Soldier's been too strong lately. I mean, I didn't really think so, just given everything I've seen just with, you know, competitive Overwatch. But ZP, like, have you felt it, like, in your cast that Soldier's too strong? Not necessarily. I mean, mm -hmm. he's certainly one of the most picked heroes that's around. Too strong? I'm not entirely yeah. sure. It... Uh, I mean, the, so you look at Soldier, who he's competing against, right? His main competition is McCree, and we've definitely seen far more Soldier than McCree. But a lot of that also We're comes down it. to the fact that Soldier is a much easier to get good contribution out of. McCree is much more all or nothing. You see that in McCree's win rate stats, where uh, for any given team fight, if McCree goes down first, the team has a bigger chance of losing than any other hero if they were to die first. And the reason is for McCree is that McCree is either bursting someone down quickly and you're winning the fight, or he's getting dove on and he dies. Yeah. Soldier has a lot more middle ground by comparison, and thus he's more favored by teams overall. Will this result in more McCree gang picked? Maybe. And the reason would be is that I think Soldier is going to be quite a bit worse now at dealing with Pharaoh Mercy combos. You're, he was already a little bit lacking in the burst damage for anti-air, and now his burst damage is taking an even bigger hit. Right. Okay. All right, I well, think that, this, is, oh, this is a good ahead. change. This is a good change. Yeah. If it means McCree gets played a little bit more, I'm, I'm very happy about it. Um, and I will say, if you go back and watch episode... 30 i'm just pulling out a random number wow that's a long I'm time ago sure whenever they changed uh mccree from 17 back up to 20 i was like soldier. oh this is you know soldier needs this but i think it should be 19 not 20 so called this one uh some some number of episodes ago <laughs> it's true there's there's yeah. video evidence of yeah, it so. I, I believe you i believe you um, okay, well, why don't we uh, move on here? And I guess before we do, why don't we give a shout out to all the folks listening to the overview? Uh, for those who didn't know, the overview is available on iTunes and Google Podcasts as well as SoundCloud. So if you want to listen to it on the way to work or in your car or anything like that, you can just by uh, searching for either the overview or Overwatch, and you'll see us listed there. Um, if you want to help us out, help us out by you know having us show up higher whenever they're searching for Overwatch, uh, you can leave us a, a nice five star review and. You know, it really helps out with that. And I want to give a shout out to EPH, who was the last person to, to leave us that rating. So thanks for doing that. Um, but let's move on to some news that we've got, just general news. And I, I just got this link straight from Kiki that uh, a new Blizzard division is has been created, or for, they formed a new division. Let me show it to you guys. It's just like brand new. I barely even read through this thing myself. But it looks I mean, like th this this news literally dropped while we're recording the show. <laughs> yeah, literally like like Should ten we just minutes read ago. It for them, Chris? Yeah. yeah. Well, you want to read it for them? You can sure, read it for sure. Them. Blizzard Entertainment Incorporated has formed a dedicated division within the company that will handle management, operation, sales, and distribution for over Overwatch copyright esports programs, including Overwatch League TM and Overwatch World Cup. 
In addition to bringing together some of the most talented people from across the entire organization, this effort includes the full integration of Major League Gaming acquired in 2015 into Blizzard and also leverages some of the best and brightest from traditional sports, esports, and entertainment. So actually pretty big esports news generally. Mm-hmm. Does this mean that MLG is no longer like Activision Blizzard? It's like specifically within Blizzard. That's what it certainly sounds like. Um, that's that's pretty big news. Uh, the new division, which will retain the name MLG, mm-hmm. will build on Blizzard's nearly 20-year history as a leader in esports. Okay, blah, blah, blah. PR speak, PR speak. <laughs> uh, it'll operate the MLG branded media network, uh, which I suppose is their live stream and video player, uh, which will broadcast both Blizzard and... Oh, still broadcast Blizzard and Activision esports content. Uh, but yeah. basically the TLDR here is it looks like MLG has been integrated directly into Blizzard and a new organization has been formed to power not just Overwatch League, but Overwatch World Cup. And this is all new to me right now, uh, mm-hmm. I think to all of us. Uh, and yeah, I think this was inevitable yep. with the scale of Overwatch League, like literally trying to do regional teams uh, representing cities, you know, creating stadiums and broadcast crews around the world. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is one of the most ambitious esports programs ever conceived of to be quite honest so yeah you're going to need a big powerful experienced organization to run this so this this makes tons of sense to me there is one little part here that i pick up on where maybe it just wasn't in the press release but and this is a very minor thing but you know i do know a lot of people that work on the overwatch side of the esports team and the exact quote towards the bottom here is quote blizzard separate esports team will continue to directly manage and operate the global esports programs for heroes of the storm Hearthstone, StarCraft, and World of Warcraft, (laughs) but will begin leveraging the new division's capabilities for media production, sales, and distribution. They don't mention the Overwatch side of things, so that would tend to lead one to believe that all the people that are on the Overwatch-specific esports team would probably more quickly be integrated into this new MLG wing of Blizzard, presumably because they are more directly handling Overwatch League. So for those guys, they actually have a... I guess, more direct transition into this. So I guess one question I want to ask you just with this, you know, obviously MLG being integrated into all of this too is, are they going to be using the MLG streamer for all of this stuff? Uh, just all the Overwatch League and World Cup? No chance. It's, it, I uh, hope not. Esports in 2017 <laughs> is, not just... is platform agnostic. Uh, at least it should be. If it's not, you know that they got paid a lot of money. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it should a lot probably of money. be it's the same company. I mean, it's like the yeah, you're same getting company paid for the point. same. Yeah, the it's, there's no that. paying anything anymore. It's, Although uh, the, the way Fish Sticks was saying, no, that, I, you yeah. might be talking about other things like YouTube, like or, YouTube or Facebook, sure, sure, where sure. if you yeah. if something comes out and Blizzard goes Overwatch League brought to you exclusively by Facebook streaming, then yeah, you would assume that somewhere down the line. Mark Zuckerberg had directly or indirectly written a very large check for the broadcasting rights of that, which could very well happen. I mean, Facebook has been very much into buying content. YouTube has been very much into buying content. And Mm -hmm. this is where, of course, Ben probably would love to talk about certain things that he knows in general about the scene with all this, because he is working with Twitch, which this is being broadcasted on. But that is a thing right now in the streaming wars that go on where you do have more competition for certain content where companies like YouTube are trying to buy their way in to get more faces or get more eyeballs on their content and on their website. Yeah. Okay. Well, overall, I think it's great. I mean, I think the, you know, it's just another step that the infrastructure is starting to form and, you know, they're able to announce these things 
just again, uh, it's it's moving towards Overwatch League, and that's what we're we just want to hear more and more about it. So this is just another step towards that. Um, okay, we got a lot of news, so let's just try to get through this, some of these as quickly as possible. Um, we've got Blizzard. Uh, let's see. Rumor has it, or at least from a you know a supposed source, that Blizzard secured Robert Kraft and Steven Ross for Overwatch League. Um, doesn't necessarily mean, and, and both by the way, th- those are owners of you know New England Patriots and as well as Miami Dolphins. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're using those brands, but at least the two owners are supposedly the first two to nab a spot in the Overwatch League. Well, well, well first of all, no. If you and this is where I can really leverage uh, New England sports trivia. But first of all, for Robert Kraft, he would not use the same brand. I mean, any yeah. organization that he owns uses different names where you have okay. the New England Patriots and then you have the New England Revolution, which is the mm-hmm. soccer team that he owns that right. and all the rest. But I will say this. And this is just going to be me worshiping Robert Kraft here and say that if this rumor is true, which very well could be. Richard Lewis is a pretty well-sourced individual. He wouldn't put this out here if he didn't have a pretty good idea that this very well could be fact. Robert Kraft is one of the most respected owners in all of professional sports. And you have a situation now where if word is out that Robert Kraft likes Overwatch League enough that he's investing, well, other people in the same billionaire owner club, people that want to get in on the next new hot thing, their interest is going to be peaked by simple fact that Robert Kraft might be involved in this. So the fact that he is involved above all else, and I'm not trying to marginalize the rumor of the Miami Dolphins owner being involved or anything like that, <laughs> but Rogers the like, fact whatever. that Kraft is involved <laughs> potentially is a massive bit of news yeah. just because it is him being associated at all raises the likelihood that other big owners will buy in. Yeah. Yeah. It, interesting because we had been hearing about all of these NBA teams, uh, well, not not even hearing about it. No, it's they've, been the they've NBA made moves. Yeah, so far. Uh, what were you saying, Chris? I said they've made moves. We haven't even been hearing yeah. like they've actually yeah. made moves. Yeah. No, they've been making moves in the mm-hmm. esports space. So it's interesting that it's now uh, NFL owners uh, that are the first to the big big reveals here. Uh, but yeah, Robert Kraft was at BlizzCon, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, I, I remember. Kraft, I was that, sitting that standing right heard. next to him like a few, few times. Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. Well, Chan Man can yeah. attest that he was uh, there. But yeah, they, they actually had a really cool box at BlizzCon, for those who don't know, where... Mm-hmm. So they built the basically a replica of a luxury box that you would see in a normal sports stadium where they had a, as nice as a luxury box, that, right? But it, they, it was they, so as close that. as they could okay. get yes, with yeah. union work in that particular <laughs> environment. Look, I had a cappuccino with the OW league logo on the foam. All right. That was cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. Yeah. I'll give you that. That was pretty cool. You need to stop nitpicking what was a easily built but good box that had exceptional service within the box. Like it was a nice box. Let's just it will yes, it's a very nice box. All right, I'll give you that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, yeah. we totally cut off ZB from his actual point there. Uh, I think, which well, was I, I think the only point I was mentioning was that uh that it was yeah. a nice box that they went out of their way to mm-hmm. go there. They did invite it was uh, a mixer. craft and other yeah, it was were there. Like it, it was almost like a mixer. Elon Musk there? Yeah, Elon, Elon, Elon Musk, Musk was, was there. Yeah, Elon Musk was there. And, and I mean, you know, yeah, okay, so was there. It, it, it was basically, yeah, it was, it was like a mixer between all the endemic, all the endemic esports oh. owners and things make, with all of these billionaire oh. and team owners. Yeah, so I think uh, Raynad was up in there too, from what yeah. I remembered. Uh, it's all coming back to me as a who was up there. Although there are uh, certain people that were there that probably haven't been too happy because of probably being unable to raise funds or otherwise. Like you, the, I just key in when you mentioned Jason Lake and he's been very publicly mm-hmm. 
unhappy with things. Yeah, a lot of the, the, you know, I would say the old time, you know, people have been in esports for a long time and back in the, you know, CGS days and things, they they weren't, yeah, I mean, at least the first reaction wasn't like the greatest, but, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, we'll, we'll have to see how it ends up playing out. But speaking of Jason Lake, we actually had Complexity announced, uh, announced yesterday or this morning that they're stepping away from Overwatch. So we did hear news that Shake was leaving the team, um, you know, the day before. But now the whole roster, you know, are free agents. So, um, you know, that's kind of sad. Just given that complexity, I think you know was a team that's been around since. I mean, the, it's forever now. You know, just in Overwatch and had a lot of success. I would say recently ha- have never quite lived up to the potential that they had. And then after Harblue leaving, I think we've kind of seen a decline with with the team. But overall. What are y'all's thoughts on complexity stepping back from Overwatch? So this might be harsh, but my base reaction would be is that they were in desperate need of being blown up and rebuilt anyways. The mm-hmm. core of the team wasn't working. And I would this is one of those things where you generally I try again, I try and be more positive than negative for these sorts of things. But if you're being honest about the results and where complexity had issues, they were built around the TJOs and Harblue. Yeah. And Harblue is no lo- Harblue is no longer on the team, and the TJOs have not really been performing to the level that you need DPS to f- perform in in 2017. I think complexity needed a full rebuild. Then this yeah. makes sense. I can see uh, the over G over over dot GG article now is just something about the 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 sad fate of the TJO brothers because they have oh, they've boy. been struggling for a long time. I mean. ZP, you and I were casting uh, all the weekly tournaments back in the closed beta, open beta. There was this team that came out of nowhere, Citizen 7. They started beating the best teams in the world. They beat everybody. They were on a complete roll. And then the TSM thing happened. The accusations happened. They get dropped from TSM. They go to complexity. And they just haven't had any real significant success since then. It only seemed to really get worse over time. Oh, Right, Code 7, not Citizen 7, Tardy OW uh, correcting me in chat. Thanks for that. Uh, But yeah, I mean, this team has struggled for a very long time. uh, So unfortunate for them, but I think we all kind of saw it Mm -hmm. coming. Okay, uh, let's see. Next up we've got, I think you had this quote here, (laughs) Ben, you wanted to bring up by Bobby. (laughs) I don't know. This is actually also in the Richard Lewis article. Uh, Apparently Bobby Kotick, CEO of Activision Blizzard, uh, said seventy-five thousand professional standard uh, 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 professional players exist today, out of the thirty million player base. Um, I just thought that was a kind of funny quote because pretty sure it's off by two orders of magnitude. Like I, I would I would buy it if there's like maybe seven hundred and fifty pro level players right now in the game, <laughs> but seventy-five thousand. Uh, I just wanted to call that one out because it, it kind of made me <laughs> lull. Uh, well, I don't know. ZP. That is a huge what do you number. think about that, that number? A huge number. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so okay. That is what I'll say. Okay. Okay. Because I feel like there's probably like 30 or 40 world like pro teams in the world that are like at, at a pretty good level. At that time, six is a far cry from 75,000. So right. it, it obviously like maybe he's just like these are all the masters players in the world or all the GM players in the world or something like that. I'm assuming that's what it was, but. 
Yeah, if it's if it's if it's, if it's like that, if it's Grandmaster and Master, then that that number seems more reasonable. It seems to match up, I think, given the percentages they've said in the past. But yeah, that's a funny number though. <laughs> um, a next bit of news: Renegades adds Primo Dolce uh, to their roster. I actually don't know too much about Primo. Do do you guys know? I've never even heard of him. Yeah, I, I don't know anything about him. I I got nothing for you. The most I can okay. say is that they probably did need to make a change away from Juvenile, so mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah, it, it feels like it's been forever since I've seen Renegades play in recent times, and I know it's not really? forever. It's just the play- I feel it's just the esports time bubble of uh, thinking that you know a team hasn't been uh, in the semifinals or finals anytime recently, and they miss a few tournaments, and you imagine that they're dead to the world, but. <laughs> Uh, it'll be interesting to see where they stand. Uh, I do think Renegades probably has a few systemic flaws that they need to work through, uh, not the least of which is that they were definitely sort of like CLG and being too reliant on Pharah to do things for quite a while. So, I don't know. We'll see how Renegades uh, shows up with this new tank condition and yeah. if it's what they need to break through. Okay, well, why don't we uh, jump to the events that have been going on uh, around Overwatch. Uh, one of them that happened this past weekend was the Cyber Power PC extreme series uh had a few teams a few na teams that were playing in it and lg evil ended up taking it over clg 3-1 um cloud nine was actually in this tournament too they ended up finishing third but um do you guys anything to take from this tournament well i'll no go ahead Ben. well i mean you casted it uh obviously (laughs) we can we can dive into the meta but just simply the results alone I mean, there's some trends that we're seeing continue over many months for certain teams struggling. There's some big upsets as well. Uh, some really, I mean, CLG beating Immortals in the first round, I thought was a, a really exciting uh, development for them. Of course, it was a single elimination bracket. So yeah. Immortals got dropped out in the first round. I don't know, ZP, you casted it, so I'll let you take this one. Yeah, so Immortals, it's just, it's interesting where Immortals stands right now, where I, I would say that arguably they have had issues dealing with Pharah's period, and that clearly didn't help them really versus CLG, where that's CLG's biggest fastball. So if you're not able to punish that convincingly, it's tough. I would say for Immortals, they're, if you had to look at their highs and lows, Agilities is clearly on a world-bending high. He is playing out of his mind, even, mm-hmm. even, when, El- or even when Immortals would lose a game. Agilities usually looks good. I would say if there's any issue for Immortals, and there are several, but the biggest thing that comes to mind is that I actually think that Grim Reality has been in some degree of a slump in recent times where he hasn't been quite as shut down as necessary. And when you're dealing with a team like CLG that does clutch more on Farah, it's a pretty bad combination where you didn't see Grim coming out with the crazy hero moments that he usually does. And we know he's capable of that. He's one of the youngest players in the scene, one of the newest players to FPS gaming around. So he can work through it, but... I do think that it's been somewhat of a tough uh, last few tournaments for Grimm. And I think the fact that CLG was able to win in the manner that they did kind of indicates that. Let's talk Cloud9. It's because, you know, Cloud9, I've, we've been hearing about Cloud9 with new additions and, you know, obviously having Bishop coaching for a while now. Um, how'd they look in this tournament to you guys? Remember two weeks ago how I said Taimu playing uh, McCree will make Overwatch esports great again? Yep. Surefor playing Farah <laughs> is doing the same thing for me. Oh my god, it is so fun to watch Surefor sure playing Farah. He was hitting mid airs against Jake on Oasis uh, at such an obscene rate. Uh, you know, that that was just really exciting and fun for me to watch. Uh, one of the interesting things I think the trend uh, that now that this Cloud Nine team has reformed is that 
Surefour is basically sticking to projectile DPS, uh, playing to projectile DPS Diva and Sombra, and then not really touching <laughs> uh, Hitscan after that point, uh, and leading uh, leading that to the rest of his teammates. So uh, I didn't expect this. I mean, I know I played Dirty Bomb with Surefour years ago, and he was a complete sicko uh, with uh, with Hitscan. So, but he's. He's fitting into this role of projectile really well. I mean, he didn't. I, I remember talking to him ZP early on in the in the closed beta and, and all that, and he never played any game with projectiles. Like he only ever played hit scan before, but he has learned how to play the projectile role. Well, it's good that he has because projectile DPS in general is much more at a premium in the Overwatch community right now, particularly projectile DPS that can run both Farah and Genji. You have a fair amount of Genji one-tricks and you have a fair amount of Farah one-tricks. Getting someone that can play projectile DPS and still flex to other things is somewhat rare. And yeah, he can still do hitscan if need be, but for him right now, you have other hitscan options on the team. It's fine that he's taking projectile DPS and making his own. I would say the thing that struck out to me about C9, despite their heartbreak loss to LG Evil, where just to give people it's some close. context, it's they were close. one team fight away from beating <laughs> LG Evil. All they had to do was hold on first on Gibraltar, and that would have been it. And yeah. they just slowly let LG Evil back into it. LG Evil ends up winning Gibraltar in the closest of fashions, ends up winning the final map and taking the full series. Yeah. That was definitely tough for C9, to say the least. But I mean, he said the should... closest of uh, uh, closest of fashions. He really means yes. it. <laughs> I know. They it was barely nice. got point A in overtime. Then they barely got point B in overtime on Gibraltar, and then they ended up winning the map, which was just completely insane. That's it was Overwatch a crazy Marina. comeback, and it's why <laughs> that you can't write teams off until the very end. But here's what I want to point out about C9: what they did really well, and it was particularly apparent in the third place match. The coordination we're seeing from them in certain small gameplay respects is stuff that you don't see quite as well in the NA scene. And even if they're rough around the edges, even if you have cases where Selly is getting picked off early because calls are confusing to them because they are running in a mixed language team, you're seeing stuff there reminiscent of some of the higher end Korean teams, which is boding really well for C9, where the best example I can give you is how they're playing with Diva, where the Diva play that they were doing, the how they were tactically using Diva was not the NA style of put it in someone's face no matter what. You saw a lot of cases where it was a much more support-oriented diva, where it was either enabling Surefour to do crazier things, where how do you deal with a Pharah that has a defensive matrix all around her? It's difficult. Or just simple saving of other people, where I remember there was one particular play where Selly was almost certainly going to lose a one-on-one versus Retsy. And then the diva matrix just comes in directly on top of Selly at the last moment, and then Retsy's just sitting there going, well, what do I do? I'm just done here. It, the amount of saving and just sort of ambushes, like another ambush I can bring up, on Ilios for the well stage, you had a case where Surefour was in a backwards position with Farah using cover. And then as soon as Desro leaps in to try and deal with them, all of C9 converges on Desro and blows him up like a swarm. It's incredible coordination coming out from C9 where even if they weren't able to put it all together and win this particular tournament, it is promising how they are playing relative to how a lot of other teams right now in North America play. And you have to put that mostly on Bishop where Bishop has been, by all accounts, a pretty phenomenal coach so far. And anyone who spent any time talking to Bishop knows that he is a very smart analytical mind. So I think in the future, you have to be pretty bullish about C9. Well, it's great to hear. They're fitting into the dive comp. Uh, style really really well which is just completely swept swept korea 
Korean teams are playing dive comps like 85% of the time on like every map on attack and defense. Definitely seems like Bishop sees that, sees the value in D.Va, sees the value in playing this hyper-focused, organized uh, dive uh, strategy. It's working really well for them. The one thing I do wonder is if there is a patch that kind of makes dive comp less strong, is the C9 team able to react to that? Is God's adept enough at Reinhardt to play that role at a super high level? We basically barely saw it at all in this entire tournament as they were playing dive on most maps on both attack and defense. Um, so that, that's the one question lingering in my head here. Uh, well, while they did play dive super well, can they can they play a Reinhardt based strategy? We don't know yet. Yep. Okay. Well, why don't we move on to uh, Apex? Uh, since we didn't talk too much about Apex last week, uh, probably won't get into every single match. But big themes, I would say, or we should get into the Rogue match, of course. And then I think Meta Athena BK Stars is worth the discussion too. Uh, but before that, I guess before we dive into each one of them, I mean, there's been some interesting, I think, dynamics brewing, which um, meta-wise, you know, I think the dive comp is still strong. But we've been seeing triple DPS a ton. Uh, from from a lot of the the teams on on a lot of the maps, we're seeing Mercy more. We're seeing Sombra played a lot on Anubis. So I want to get your thoughts on just what you know, maybe ZP, like what you've been seeing. Since I know Ben, you didn't get a chance to watch too much this week. Well, I mean, just speaking general trends here, where you can compare a lot to even. By the way, this is before we fully leave it. This is a good segue to what C9 is doing. Where Sombra is not that popular in the West. Uh, it was most popular when Complexity was running it. When you saw. Yeah. Uh, Torque run it all the time and all the rest. But Bishop keeps very close tabs of the Korean scene, and you're seeing more Sombra being played in Korea, and thus, what did you see from C9? They were running Surefor on Sombra. And it's just the case where teams are realizing that, I think, first of all, is that you have people that are more comfortable doing damage getting more just outright value out of the Sombra, but it's also just the part where EMP is an incredibly strong ultimate. And if you can put together setups where you dive in after an EMP, it can be very difficult to actually win that fight. And you're just seeing teams experiment with it more and get more value off of it. It's particularly good on Assault because for Assault, it you're not dealing with consistent progress. You don't need Sombra to necessarily be this huge DPS champion for in a long slog. It's You need to win two fights to get in and fully capture a point. So if you feel that EMP is part of the reason why you can go on and do that, or conversely, if you feel like EMP can ruin an enemy push, th- there's reasons to consider using Sombra more, particularly on Assault. And the fact that you can get two EMP sometimes is pretty crazy, too, because the recharge is insanely fast, uh, especially in, in some of those uh, the, those uh, engagements. But it's been cool seeing it. I mean, like some, I mean, some of the plays are, are you know, just a lot of fun to watch. And uh, I, think, I think the camera has been having a hard time catching everything, too, just because they're, I'm not sure they're too used to to um, capturing Sombra right now. But overall, it's been, I've had a lot of fun watching it. So this is where the observer in me is going the soapbox and say that on one hand, you're saying catch everything. I would actually say the opposite is true in Overwatch observing where you have to realize that you're not going to catch everything well, without I'm big a probably... Yeah, but okay. Sure. I mean, it's one of the same cases where you have to have the game sense where you look at it and go, this is probably going to be the biggest play. And oftentimes, you know, for example, the slam dunk is if Zarya has Graviton. You almost always want to start the fight with the camera on the Zarya because seeing how the Graviton goes is mm-hmm. a big deal. It's the biggest impact ult in the game. Right. But in general, you want to follow stories and observing. If you go start switching too often to try and catch everything, from the viewer perspective, you might as well be catching nothing because you're not telling a narrative anymore, and it becomes very difficult to follow. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I think they did a good job with, with any time Sombra was making a play. There were a lot of EMPs that they caught. It was just like the aftermath. Like, I would miss actually what happened afterwards, you know, and then all of a sudden the other team's just dead. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess, guess the EMP shut them down, but it not really, you know, understanding the full picture, I think, was uh, a few of the moments. But, um, but yeah, anyways, I think overall, just this first kind of round in the groups, I think it's been interesting. You just seeing the different dynamics, even from, you know, them having to go to this new patch and making some of the changes. But why don't we talk about the Rogue versus Mighty AOD match? Um, spoilers, Rogue ended up winning. Oh, I didn't give you much time between spoilers, but <laughs> Rogue ended up winning 3 <laughs> 1. Shocking. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and then, um, but I wanted to see what you guys thought about Rogue, because obviously, uh, I think a lot of people are. You know, hanging their hopes on Envious and Rogue, but uh, Rogue, I I feel like there's a, a pretty wide range of how people think Rogue's going to do. Some people think they're going to do super well. Some people think they're just going to do ah so so. How'd they look in this first match for you? I think they'll be good on payload and or hybrid maps <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. escort maps. I think that we clearly see again the issue of Western teams not putting their due diligence in on control and assault. And yep. unfortunately for them, when tournament formats now mandate that you have control and assault as part of it, and there's no reason to believe that any future tournament Overwatch is not going to include quite a bit of control and assault. You can't be weak on these game types and put less scrim time and practice on them mm-hmm. because you are throwing away multiple winnable maps here. Because yeah, Rogue won 3-1 versus Mighty AOD, but... The control, when they were playing control, it was much closer than the score might have looked like. They were taken almost to the limit on control, and then they outright lost on assault. They looked bad on assault, too. And that was the one map I think they looked particularly bad. So it's, it's a trend that Western teams really need to dispel. And the sooner they do it, the better. I understand that there are preconceptions in the comp community where I think a lot of players probably would have preferred to do nothing but hybrid. But that's not the world we live in. And from right. a competitive competitive perspective, if you keep giving up these map types that consist of so much of a given series, you're not going to be able to win a championship. So mm-hmm. for Rogue's sake, I hope that you have Internet Hulk in there as a coach. If I'm Internet Hulk right now, my main homework to Rogue is scrimming the ever-living crap out of all control and all assault. Yeah. Man, this group is rough, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they beat... The, the weakest team in the group yeah but and there's they're sitting pretty 1-0 they got a 3-1 scoreline they actually have the best map score right now but they're still gonna have to best either lunatic high or kongdu panthera later mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and they actually play against kongdu kongdu panthera uh on may 12th yeah, uh coming up in a couple of days Friday. here mm-hmm. uh so yeah uh rogue i'm glad they took the the win there Western hope here in this tournament for me. Uh, it's good to get. Man, I mean, they have an uphill battle still. It's going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, it's good to get the, the winner in their belt. It's kind of like C9 last last uh, season. You know, they got that first win, um, which, which they should have. And so and going into for confidence-wise, I think it's good, too. It's their first match in Korea, too, adjusting and everything. So, um, you know, it's good to at least have the easiest team first versus having to play Lunatic Hivers. That would have sucked for them, I think. You know, to have to be, have your back against the wall, like, after even just one match, it's tough. So, yeah, I, th- I think overall, Rogue, um, you know, I'm hopeful. Do, are they playing – who are they playing next? Are they, is it Lunatic High or are they playing Panthera? KD, KDP. KDP, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think I'd rather them play KDP first. Um, how about uh, let's see Meta Athena versus BK Stars? 
which uh, ended up Metathena winning 3-2, which was a lot closer than I think everybody predicted. Uh, I think some folks were, were thinking that BK Stars was going to be looking better this season, uh, you know, just before, you know, obviously the matches happened. But I think this was even much closer than even those folks thought. Overall, do you think BK Stars played well, or is it more of Metathena played bad? Uh, just thinking about that there. I mean, it, it, that's always anytime you have a series that's 3-2, you can always make the argument that one team is playing better versus one team playing worse. I mean, like mm-hmm. anything else, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I will say this for BK Stars, though, is that they're a team where this might not be super obvious from the outside, but if you take a look at the tournaments that they've been playing in, they haven't just been doing tournaments in Korea. They have been going out of their way to try and participate in NA competition, even though we know that's a huge handicap for a Korean team just given the ping where the teams that have gone and played in the US were but we've seen that Athena in a monthly melee we saw a uh, runaway in and both teams were pretty had a rough time with ping BK Stars was also doing that even for Community Cup so if nothing else they're a team that has really been putting in a pretty crazy amount of time and so the fact that they're finally starting to see improvement in the season of Apex isn't super surprising mm-hmm. Yeah, um, overall, the only thing else I had here was that uh, Saya player and Libero, they, they had an interview, you know, talking after the match, uh, talking a little bit about it, and um, mentioned a few things. But one thing I wanted to point out is they, they talked about Aim Hero, which we've never talked about on this show. Uh, you guys are familiar with Aim Hero, right? Yeah, it's Aim yeah. Training. Yeah, it's Aim Training, yeah. It's, it's something that you can download from uh, Steam. For those of you listening that might not, you know, or have been looking for an Aim training tool that... I think there's a few that are actually on the web, but this is more of like a game or like an app that you can load up that's more like the game itself and, and training aim. So go ahead and check that out if you guys uh, if you guys want to do that and want to get your you know hit scan better. But um, let's see other scores just to report. We're not probably not going to dive in too much into this, but LW Blue. Uh, oh, go ahead. I, I did have okay. one note I wanted to oh, sure. name here, yeah, here. and yeah. just because this goes into deeper esports related stuff. But I'm happy that things like this are getting more traction overall because if you stop and think about how people play in other traditional sports mm-hmm. oh, tom brady does not yeah. okay. tom, tom brady does not practice for an nfl game yeah by just playing practiced nfl games that's not how it works you have drills for throwing you have drills for catching you have drills for that practice very specific things there's no reason to think that esports, as it evolves, isn't going to have more of these sorts of programs that people use or custom proprietary programs for the figure. Actually, if we can train our players this way, we're going to use the software. We're going to have a proprietary edge in our training regimens. So the fact that you're hearing this get more traction, I mean, it's been around for ages in various forms, but yeah. I would expect as coaching develops in esports period that you see more of these things become mainstream and how often people use them and how much it's standard practice to incorporate them in a training regimen for a player yeah it sounds like they were using it you know five to six hours a a week or maybe even more like maybe a little bit each day uh in the past now they've reduced it down to uh, i think they said two hours you know a week uh but they still put in the time is kind of what they said and I, i think it's important yeah to be able to do these these drills essentially, and just keep up to speed with it, especially if you need to work on it. If you need to work on it and train it, these things are awesome. I mean, it, uh, you know, more micro type of training is always going to be great. Um, well, the, the interesting thing about that too, is that, and this is a tip that anyone can take if you are trying to get up the ladder is that, and I'm not trying to throw too much shade here, although I'll probably make a video about it at some point is that <laughs> a lot of people who are looking to get better at things like overwatch, they will, really obsess over things that don't really matter that much. Like, let me tell you right now, if you are sub 2,500, 
you're not going to be really served by trying to, uh, if you're playing a DPS hero, mind you, it's a little yeah. bit different on tanks and whatnot, but let's say you're playing a DPS hero. You're not going to be really well served by obsessing over minor things in positioning or alt usage or all these things. You're going to be best served by grinding out normal FPS mechanics. What does that mean? That means getting good hardware, like a 144 hertz monitor, good frame rate, making sure you have a good mouse and mouse pad, making sure that you have it on a lower sensitivity where a lot of people set things too high, and then using things like Aim Hero or just in-game practice on bots to bring your accuracy up to a certain level. Because you can give all the advice you want to a tracer that is at, say, 35% accuracy, 5% crit, but you're never going to get the results of a top GM player that's going to be in the realm of 8 to 9% crit with 42% accuracy. There are certain mechanical barriers you have to surpass, and that's what you need to do to get better at the game and get to those higher levels. So don't underrate basic mechanics. Yeah, it's safe to say that any of the top players with sick aim that looks inhuman, they put the hours in not just grinding ranked, but sitting there with bots, shooting headshots all day, they they do the aim training. They they've measured how uh, they they have like a perfect measurement of how many inches or centimeters it takes to do a 360. Uh, they're able to do things like perfect 180s uh, whenever they want to because they have that muscle memory. Building that muscle memory is just incredibly important. And every single top DPS player that you see out there, probably anyone on any top team right now, has certainly done this at one point in their career. If not, still regularly does this all the time. Basically, moral of the story is that there is a limit to how much you can outthink and outstrategize your way to the top. At some point, you have to bite the bullet and get your mechanics up to a suitable level. Just get good. Is pretty much what at least from a mechanical standpoint. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, well, uh, just again, just to sum up some of the scores, LW Blue, Conbox, uh, LW ended up taking it 3-1. Uh, Kongdu Uncia versus X6 Gaming. X6 ended up taking it 3-1. Uh, so that kind of wraps up the, I think there's still maybe a few more matches to go in at least the first round of, uh, the groups, but, um, yeah, just keep checking it out. You can go to OGN globals and, uh, yeah, so far I think it's been pretty, you know, entertaining just seeing all the different changes from the previous season. Uh, why don't we do some Q and a, maybe there's a couple questions we can take before we hit the road. Uh, we don't have any email questions. Those guys, if you want to you know, get your questions in on the overview, email them to me because they always get the highest priority. And we've been taking all the questions from Twitch chat lately, which is fine. It's been fun you know, doing lightning rounds and things like that. But I know a lot of folks would like to have a higher chance of getting it in. But if you've got any questions, go ahead and type them into Twitch chat and we'll read out a few. Now, one more little piece of news. Sure. Uh, it was announced that Jason Kaplan and Mitch Leslie are the casters oh, yeah, for the yeah. takeover, yeah. which is... Uh, of course, the second takeover taking place in Crefield, Germany, uh, June 1st through 4th. I'm so but like I have always wanted to go to a home story cup and a home story cup type thing for Overwatch sounds like the most fun thing ever. I really, really wish I could go. Unfortunately, uh, I'm going to be in Hawaii. I, it's not like I got invited anyway, but I probably I probably would have just flown out there to just. Just hang, hang out, out with everybody. Uh, wow. So let me just say that like, I'm not saying it was a humble brag, but it was kind of a humble brag. It's like, guys, I'm so sorry. I'm just going to be in Hawaii. I, I, I would love to be there, but, you know, I'm getting dragged out to Hawaii. I, I, uh, but I'm I, super. I mean, Home Story Cup for Overwatch, that would might maybe be yeah. the one thing better than sitting on a beach. Yeah. 
Wow. So, I mean, priorities. Big, priorities big, big are straight. to Uber and uh, Jason, though. I mm-hmm. mean, it's a case where because of some of the realities of the recent casting in the Overwatch scene, there there is the ability to get priced out of some of the cups that have been going on where I won't go fully into it, but let's just say that they would have liked to have done more events than they've been able to do. So the fact that they get to do takeover is really good. They're both great at yeah. what they do and definitely excited to watch it. It's about uh, time there, we had there's another... a question here from Disa Wolf, uh, which I'm, I'm curious to know the answer for too. ZP, if you were elected, then what's your pick for the world cup? You are the, you are the monarch of, uh, of America. You're the authoritarian dictator. What do you pick? Oh, as in like, what is the full team I pick? I mean, yeah. a big part of my platform was right, yeah, to go forward on tryout stuff where yeah. I, I mean, I didn't really want to commit to anything, but people who, it, there's very few slam dunks, but if I had to say people that I was very bullish on and they would have had to prove themselves out of things to not get my vote in the end, then I still would have, there still would have been an open discourse, but obviously you take a look at Mezar from Team Liquid. I think that he's one of the absolute best tanks in NA. He has a great mix of recent results that are great, historical results that are very good and proven at a land environment. So I think Mezar is one of the front runners that you absolutely very much consider to put on the team. Uh, looking a little bit forward to other players, then so it's getting complicated. I think that there's still a possibility that players like Cool Matt could have done very well, where he's been on Fnatic teams that have been hit or miss, but as a player, individually he's very good in what he does and is also very versatile where you think about the way that you want to structure a world cup team there is something to be said for players that can flex to different roles relatively well and play it at a high level because the meta right now is almost certainly not going to be the meta in november if you choose a team right now that is more inflexible I don't know if that team would necessarily be anywhere as good when it came to the final stages so a player like Cool Matt is attractive. A player like Rockus on phase is somewhat attractive because it, not only does he play good support there, but he also has the ability to play a whole bunch of else because he frankly just has an insane amount of hours onto the game. Everything else, I mean, uh, even the players I mentioned, you I would want to put through their paces, but you know, you think about other roles and you really have a rather wide list, right? Where yeah, you start yeah. thinking about Lucio players. Well, there's a lot of options there. I'd actually consider someone like Rafa, given the current changes where Rafa went from being too aggro and getting killed to being the one getting kills. So <laughs> in, my, in my view, there's probably a World Cup team that might have had Shane Rafa as one of the players. So I, I think there is a lot of potential in terms of who to put on the team. But those are just some of the low-hanging fruit players that come out that would be yeah. potentially pretty good. Uh, Rutsi has hit scan also was someone that I was going to look at pretty heavily. All right, Tardy is, OW. Oh, go ahead, Ben. You have a is Grim Reality point? too young? Do you have to be 18, right? Grim, Maybe. Uh, I, I think they would no, was it 16? No, no, you no, can be under 18 you now. Just 18, you have to yeah. drag your parent along, and right. Blizzard okay. is not paying for your parent. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Tardy OW has a question. Do you guys think that there will be more teams orgs falling apart or disbanding, I guess kind of like complexity, but due to the price of OWL? Uh, I mean, that it depends on how you define teams falling apart and disbanding. Like, Maybe uh, stepping away from I, Overwatch. I think talent will, will never be at a higher premium than when OW League starts. So I think I don't see teams and players dropping away from the scene. If anything... I see them either coming back or, or practicing harder. Uh, will teams exist in their current iterations? Well, that that totally depends on a lot of factors. Uh, when OW League was first teased, 
way back, you know, late last year or, or like Q3, Q4 last year, <laughs> when it was first teased and talked about to a lot of the players and teams, one of the things that they originally said was there's going to be a draft. Uh, but I think that that went out the window, so we're not sure if there's really going to be a draft anymore. Well, Given, I think there's no draft. It, it, there's yeah, some there's labor no... laws against doing a draft. Right, so, uh, right. Yeah. But the question is, will there? Will they still look to like start from scratch? Like I, I don't know. It, it really depends on a lot of factors. But uh, my interpretation of the question is like, I don't think so. I think the teams that are that are doing well now are just going to be in higher demand and probably stick together. Uh, maybe the ones that aren't doing as well will all blow up and try to reform and reform and reform to become a, a higher tier team. But that's that's literally happening like every week anyway. So that's already happening. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think people are just positioning and who knows if it's actually going to be that team versus being bought out and things like that. But I, I don't think they're taking a step back until that actually happens. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what the point of a combine is if there's not going to be anything like draft, you know, and things like that. I, I feel like all these preset teams are just going to be the teams that start the o- OWL and even probably the first, like the second season of expansion or whatever. I It's hard for me to actually see that there's an organization that buys in and doesn't really have a group of players together already and then they're going to choose like one by one by one. So they need a combine. So it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to see if if that idea really works without a draft. But well, the interesting thing about the combine is just it's as an running that is going to be difficult in terms of just interpreting the results that you have there, right? Where I guess the thing is about a combine is that there are there is untapped ladder town out there. There absolutely is. But the thing is, from a team owner perspective, do you? you're going to need someone who really knows the game period to even interpret the results of a combine. Right. And if you get someone that really knows the, how to interpret the results, do you actually need the combine or is it better than simply talk to players individually right. and, and get them that through. way? Mm-hmm. Well, like, I guess for, for me is that because you need such a high level expertise to even interpret something like the combine, do you need the combine? If you have someone at that level of high expertise, I mean, I just look at the combine as just a way to do mass interviews. You know, just like one place. Okay, guys, on this day, everybody is going to be in the same place, and then you can try them all out, you know, and and it being basically easier from a scheduling standpoint. But outside of that, I, I, you know, I I don't know what purpose it's going to serve if, you know, again, these most of these teams are already... You know, all, all that kind of um, those decisions and things about, you know, whether they fit with the team, that's going to be made already, you know, like, so I don't know. I, I, we'll see how it works. I, mean, I, I still like the concept of a combine. It's just, it's not as powerful without a draft. Yeah, okay. Uh, sure. Maybe one last question. You see one, one more that might be pretty good here. Well, there's a question further up about the lack of tournament licenses. Oh yeah. Um, we could talk about leading into OW league. We could talk about monthly melee too, you know. I guess off yeah. of that too, but uh, um, yeah. So with the tournament lights, yeah. So the question is, um, what does the pro scene do to face a fewer and fewer tournament licenses being issued? Uh, I mean, as far as that goes, I don't really want to speak in the monthly melee if, uh, situation because I don't know what information I know that I could say. And yeah, sure. Say. I mean, I so would, yeah, I, so. I'm going to plead the fifth in regards to the monthly melee. I will say is that regardless of how it's going down, I really don't think you're going to have a gap in tournaments as far as that goes. 
that's just how I think. I don't yeah. think you're going to have a. We have a lot of organizations doing stuff right now. <laughs> I mean, uh, so yeah. I, I don't think people have to be worried about tournaments coming in the future. Is what mm-hmm. I'll say there because again, yeah. I also. I'm just, it's not a good topic for me to talk about. Just yeah. Say that. <laughs> well, I mean, w- uh, in terms of monthly melee, I just meant that you know the last one is coming up. You know that it's uh, they're not going to be doing any more after that. So, um, you know that it's unfortunate, but there are parameters in place that everybody knows what those parameters are in place in terms of the license. And unfortunately, you know, monthly melee's out. You know, kind of come to the end of the line of that. Uh, but Ben, you're going to say something. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was just gonna say uh, if if we're being real with uh, being real here, monthly melee have been some of the most entertaining, most watched, best tournaments by far yep. that we've had in the last six months. Even like even if even including the land tournaments, the melees have in a way been more exciting with better teams and better production and better casting. Yep. So. My gut feeling, and, and I don't have, I I, can't, I will talk to this because I don't have any insert, insider information <laughs> to share, yep. but Blizzard would not shut down the monthly melees unless there was something else, unless there was a damn good reason, a scheduling conflict, something else. So I don't know what's coming up, but I'm sure we'll, we'll learn, we'll oh, learn really? soon. Oh, and Huh? Oh, really? Okay. You think it's something else? I thought it was just oh, yeah. the license. Like, it's, just... it's, I mean, okay. It's obvious. The World Cup, the qualifiers are starting, are going to start next month. Let's be real. Like, just think about it. Like, we only have a few. Yeah, but that doesn't we mean. We know that there's. That doesn't mean the person that organizes the nothing me- melee should just go and say, hey, we're never doing them again. Sorry, guys. Well, I mean. I could be totally it's... wrong, but my gut, <laughs> my gut tells me that Blizzard would not shut down the best tournament in the scene right now if there wasn't going to be some massive schedule conflicts to make it impossible to run. I think if I'm wrong, then I think Blizzard's making a mistake. But I, I, I suspect that there's going to be plenty of stuff in, in, in between now and OW League launching that will take our attention. So I think it's safe to say that you're not going to have a dearth of Overwatch content. That would be yeah, very unlikely is how I would look at things. Yeah, it's there's a lot of stuff already on the calendar right now. And of course, yeah, Apex and World oh. Cup still in a lot of it. So well, one thing hard. I would like to say, though, and this is sort of uh, preemptive, but since uh, news came out of multiple sources, I'm not going to sit here and go like, I don't know, guys. I, I will say a <laughs> uh, big thanks to everyone that has supported the monthly melees over mm-hmm. the last year. A uh, big thanks, of course, to Curse and Twitch, since effectively Twitch now owns Curse for not only <laughs> hosting the tournaments, but also promoting them. Uh, all the support that goes on there is a big deal and making it happen. But it, it's been a fun journey for it. It's been just yeah. like, yeah, I, I had a part in some of it. <laughs> It's a little sad. I mean, it's definitely sad. Not even a little sad. It's definitely sad to see monthly melee go. Given that, for me, it's really the first organically created event series. You know, for Overwatch. You know, nothing that came from something else, or you know, I felt spawned. You know, recently because of success from other things. Monthly melee was the first thing. You know, just kind of showing that you know you could do this type of regular content in Overwatch and and having it come from you know community members like yourself, GP and Hex and. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great to ha- always have that beacon to go to and it, having it produce like some of the greatest matches it was even more satisfying. So it'll be definitely sad to see that go. Um, but I think that's going to be it, guys, for questions. So why don't we wrap up the show and uh, go into some shout outs. ZP, any shout outs? Uh, any shout outs? Well, I mean, first off, shout outs to you. Uh, now that I'm going to be more of a regular fixture on this program, uh, shout outs to everyone voted me for the Overwatch World Cup committee, even though it wasn't to be. Uh, I definitely appreciate all the support, guys. Uh, over the short 
but sweet campaign season. And yeah, I mean, just excited to uh, Overwatch in the future going into the summer. Uh, if you want to send me a follow, follow me at TempoZP. And then everyone else can chill for themselves. I mean, this is a case where we don't have a flame situation where his name is Flame, but it's actually at Matt Rod. All the Twitter follows here are <laughs> relatively straightforward. Okay. Uh, Dan, how about you? Uh, ZP, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, I- I'm glad to have someone else that uh, on the show that will agree with me that Tribes 1 is the best game uh, ever made. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, hands down, it, definitely not Tribes 2. There's That would be insane if you made that uh, that assertion. That would be just totally off the wall crazy. So glad we're on the same page there, ZP. Uh, right? No, okay. We uh, are anyway. absolutely on the same page. Yesterday, no I, yesterday I, I won a 5v6 on Gibraltar, so I upload the, <laughs> uploaded that to my YouTube and Twitch channels. It was a pretty fun game. Uh, if you want to see somehow I won a 5v6 at that's worth it. It's SR, worth highlights right there. Pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitch, you can do that at Fishsticks. And, yeah, that, that's it for me. All right, I'll round things out. Thanking both of you guys. Again, ZP, welcome to the Welcome to the family, and uh, everybody else, Thanks, thank you for watching. You can find the VODs for this on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash You can follow me also on uh, Twitter at ChamianV. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at the Overview GG. And again, if you're into you know audio podcasts and listening it to on your iPhone or wh- whatever device, uh, you can find us on iTunes by searching for the Overview or Overwatch, and it will come up. Uh, and that's going to be it, guys, for this week. So for ZP, Fishsticks, and myself, ChamianV, we'll see you next week. Later.